0: Behold, the sword of power,
1: Excalibur. Welcome to the Oh Gosh, oh, Golly, oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel Comics series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week, we are discussing Alan Davis's final issue of Excalibur. We're sad, but we're also happy and ready to go down fighting like every good Terminator should. Excalibur number 67, Days of Futures Yet to Come, was originally published in July 1993. And the creative team is Alan Davis on writing and pencils, Mark Farmer on inks, Dana Morsat and Mike Thomas on colors, Janice Chang on... On letters, and Terry Kavanaugh and Mark Powers on editing. Welcome back for an epic send-off of an epic era of this epic comic book series we love so much. I am Dr. Anna Paparaj. You can find me around the internet or in your university library talking about sex and gender and comics and superheroes. I'm not literally in your library, but things I've written are. Um, today's issue is great fodder for that, so I'm in a good mood. Specific places you can find me are ComicsXF where I'm usually doing something or other and at the Twitter account Sequential Scholars where you can find me and Andrew talking about lots of comics stuff including this month, Shape Changers in Comics, Paper Girls, and She-Hulk is coming up. I am also as always Kurt Wagner's unofficial PR manager. In that capacity, I have lodged a formal protest about Alan Davis leaving the book but have been informed by reliable sources that this happened 30 years ago and time travel is only real in comics. I am jo- Mind, as always by Mav. Please take us back to your future.
2: Back to my future? I, I was going to say, I, I question that time travel only happens in comics. but anyway. Mav,
1: anyway. I added in brackets, or is it? Because I knew you would say that. <laughs> Oh,
2: um, hi, my name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I've decided that I'm suddenly into leather and guns, and it's, we're gonna get extreme! It's 1993, baby! Yeah! No! <laughs> and then I'm no! never gonna mention any of that ever again. Um, <laughs> because was because that's how this that's how we're doing things um what happens is, um, in the
1: alternate future stays in the alternate future I,
2: I actually like this issue believe it or not i question whether it's good but like i think this is this is the most 90s that alan davis is in his entire career It's peak alan davis 90s-ness and i'm looking forward to talking about it today beyond that you know i'm i'm a Gosh, I, I keep forgetting to say, I, was, I was always want to say scholar, but I, I'm i a teaching assistant professor of digital narrative interactive design at University of Pittsburgh. I, I'm, I'm not used to saying that. It's my new job. I'm not used to saying it out loud yet. Um, and I study comics and pop culture and the internet and cultural studies and things like that here and on another podcast called Vox Podcast but it's summer vacation for my this is like literally my last week of summer vacation next 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 time we record i'll be like oh god i'm grating that's so, so i'm happy next, today
1: <laughs> next time we record you might be a doctor also god
2: i hope so yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, not, if not something's gone horribly wrong yes <laughs> we will doctors celebrate appropriately future, doctors of future yet to come <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: Oh,
1: if we had episode titles, that would be it (laughs) Andrew, please relay the tangled threads of your fractured consciousness
3: Oh, that makes me sad I'm Dr. Andrew DeMann I'm a lecturer at St. James University Where on um, Monday, my dean and facilities manager Are giving me a tour of potential lab spaces for a comic book lab Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I might have a comic book lab How cool is that? Can I visit? Yes Yes. That's awesome (laughs) Very much so um, and earlier today, um, Mav and I were both playing with mid-journey AI software, doing like um, uh, X-Men illustrations in it. And now I'm thinking, with Alan Davis's retirement, that we could just replace him with an Alan Davis bot. Ooh. Oh my god! And all our problems would be solved. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm,
2: sure I'm gonna pull that up and just see what happens if I say Alan Davis Nightcrawler right now. <laughs> oh
1: my god! I'm sure I'm sure the artistic community will be very friendly with us if we do that. <laughs> I, I do
0: want to know what what you get. Uh, i'm scared
1: (laughs) (laughs) we will share that afterwards (laughs) all right the team is joined this week by a fabulous returning guest who i know is very eager to discuss this comic book we are joined by dr stephanie bird making her triumphant return to the podcast hello stephanie
0: hi i'm happy to be here
1: (laughs) we're so happy to have you i'm I'm Um, not a robot (laughs) Well, I mean, this is a a robot-friendly podcast, and yet being the operative word. Let me introduce you, because it's been a while since you've been on the podcast. I'll just tell our listeners a little bit about you, and then I do want to hear a little bit about your thoughts of what Excalibur has been up to, in fact, so let's do that. So Dr. Stephanie Bird is a literary critic and poet and professor of English at Harvard University. She's published many collections of poetry and a whole bunch of literary criticism in academic journals and places like the New Yorker, London Review of Books, Times Literary Supplement, and the Boston Review. She is also an avid X-Men fan, which informs her recent chapbook For All Mutants, and her always excellent review and opinion pieces over at ComicsXF and elsewhere. Okay, so Stephanie, we haven't talked to you since Excalibur 24 and given your deep affection for Kitty slash Kate Pride. So excited to have you here for this issue. But I thought I would ask you about, you know, what are your thoughts sort of heading into this final Alan Davis issue? Because we haven't talked to you since then. What are your thoughts about where the series has been going and in, in all of the issues in between?
0: So I've been following your thoughts because I am a listener to the pod. Oh, that's uh, nice. As you, you knew that. And really feels... I. I've, I've, I've found a whole bunch of Alan Davis talking about sources for his art style, in particular the Scottish newspaper strip cartoonist Sidney Jordan. And if oh. you go online and look at a lot of Sidney Jordan stuff, especially the, the later and, and less well-known Lance McLean strips, you can really see who Davis learned to draw by imitating And he sort of says that. So I've been thinking about how Alan Davis gets to be Alan Davis as an artist. And I found a whole bunch of interviews with him talking about how and why he left the first time, which had to do with deadlines. And I was looking for him talking about why and how he left the second time. And my impression is that they wanted him off the book that, that at this point, Marvel, and I suppose Bob Harris, whoever was in charge of mismanaging the X line at that point, wanted Davis off the book because he wasn't increasing sales and they wanted to bring it under the X umbrella and let Scott Lobdell mismanage it for a while. <laughs> and I wish that Davis had you know talked about what he was trying to do, because it's very clear from the last, like, seven or eight issues of davis excalibur first that he's great and he understands all of these recurring characters so well second that he understands which ones readers care about and which ones he's going to need to focus on in the limited time remaining to him like we don't get like a fair on spotlight issue right yeah uh we we get <laughs> and and second <laughs> second that he has a couple of different planes that he has to land smoothly. Yeah. Yeah. And as of today, the last, I believe the last, uh, oh gosh, oh, Gology, wow podcast to drop covers number 65 in which he lands both the plane of why is Brian losing his powers, what's going on with Brian, and the leftover from Alan Moore's Captain Britain plane that has to do with the fate of the Warpies. And he took a long time to do that. And he then has apparently two issues left in order to land the following planes. How do we get Rachel Summers back into current 616 continuity so that he doesn't walk away from the book with her still erased? Who or what is Widget and where did Widget come from? And how can we give, she's now Kate, but for these issues, she's still Kitty. How can we give Kitty something else cool to do? Because she just has not been at the center of leftover Captain Britain plot lines because she can't be. We've I I see I've been talking about the general Excalibur context without answering your question, which I think was what do I think of the stories that have brought us to this point? And I really love Excalibur number sixty six. This is a two parter. Number sixty six has introduced us to the Days of Future Past universe to earth 811 which is where rachel comes from and has given us rachel going back to that timeline and that earth in order to try to save the timeline she's from and excalibur following her and it's also given alan davis a chance to draw some real this looks like the future science fiction and to draw a set of characters who are going to be new to most readers and who i think he hasn't drawn before some of them have existed in some form in a marvel uk comic that like no one has read uh but this Mm -hmm. this amazing disco telepath called tangerine armies of robots and it's also a chance for alan davis to just draw lots and lots of stuff that's not supposed to be comedic yeah. One of the big transitions to the Days of Future Yet to Come story, to this two parter from the end of the Warpy story and of the Captain Britain story, is that he had to deal with tons and tons of people he co created with Claremont and with Alan Moore who were. Silly looking members of TechNet and the Warpies and Sponge. And what's the name <laughs> of the one who looks like Gumby and suppresses your powers?
1: Oh, Oh, is it static or no, no. Static was Something. for Kitty. Yeah. Yeah. God, I forgot. Yeah. There's a
0: whole bunch of these. There are just so many of them and they look comedic and that's great. And that's in keeping with present day Excalibur stories where the fact that some of these entities could creep you out or kill you made them more interesting to read about. But now Davis can draw absolutely tongue-not-in-cheek Earth 811 science fiction business, and it is so beautiful. And it is more beautiful because of a choice, another choice that he doesn't make, which is if you go back and read the story that gave us Earth 811, which I think Comics XF just published a piece about how Days of Future Past, Uncanny 141 and 42 are the most important X-Men story ever. And I think I agree with that. If you look at the original Earth-811, it's got killer robots, of course, but it looks almost like someone's telling a Holocaust story. Yeah, It's got ruined, bombed-out cities, and khaki, and muted, and rusty, rust tones, and people in prison garb, and prison camps. And we know that this is the same Earth, because... It's part of the same story, but everything on the Alan Davis Earth 811 in this issue is bright colors and shiny robots. Even when the robots get holes knocked on their heads so they can be manipulated by the good guys, they are still shiny. It is beautiful. It looks like a future that you shouldn't give up on. And of course, part of this story both in universe and as a sort of address to the readers is don't give up on your own future don't give up on any future don't give up on anyone don't even give up on nigel freaking orpington smite yeah don't give up on anyone anyone can change anything can be reprogrammed there's always hope and that is very much a curt message and it's very much a kitty message and I want to say it's very much an Alan Davis Excalibur message and it's a great it's a great way to go out if if you have to go out
1: oh I'm like I knew I was getting get kind of emotional talking about this issue because I'm like very I'm feeling very emotional about it and that's such a beautiful sentiment and I think
0: Aww.
1: so there's a lot about why I find this issue so affecting but um I,
0: I love it there's one thing I don't love and we'll get to it
1: but I love it <laughs> Yeah, there's one thing I don't love also. Um possibly I, I, involving I, a certain Nigel or king Smith, but that's actually not what I don't love. <laughs> we'll, Fair. we'll get there. The different I mean, Nigel. Yeah, I, I I'm trying to I'm trying to buy into it. It's just a, the whiplash is difficult. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah. I want to hear more of your first impressions. Let's do the issue summary and then we'll just get right into it. We have done your comics origin story back on our episode on Excalibur twenty four, so people should go and listen to that if they want to hear that. But we'll talk about Thumb- mostly the issue. Thumbnail today.
0: is Thumbnail is I over-identify with Kate Pride. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can't stop, hope never to stop. That's how I'm coming at the world.
1: Yeah, that's why I'm so excited to have you talk about it. Alright, I know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod. We definitely lend you some of our comically large multicolored sentinel-hunting guns at the end of the world. But as always, let's start today's trip to the future past with a plot summary. Excalibur number 67 opens in the far-flung 2015, where disco telepath Tangerine sees Camelot, the base of the British mutant resistance RCX, falling to the Sentinels. Household names like Union Jack, Motormouth, and Head are slaughtered. The rest of the RCX resistance, who were tricked into fighting A, Have while the base was destroyed, console Tangerine as their leader Arthur handles recap. As Arthur removes his helmet, he reveals himself to be an alternate Nigel Orbankin Smith, who is apparently now a hero. He imparts the regretful news the RCX had planned to attack the Sentinel base directly from Camelot. Now that plan is doomed to failure. But Nightcrawler, a Sentinel of Hope, disagrees, telling him that a direct attack to destroy the Sentinel Hierarchy is now their only option. Meanwhile, at the Sentinel Hive, the Sentinel Hierarchy orders that Widget be probed to find mutants throughout the multiverse so that they can destroy them throughout the multiverse. In the prison cell nearby, Rachel is trapped within a force field that uses her own energy against her. She spies Widget in the distance and knows Catherine Pride's consciousness lives within, so she tries their psychic link and succeeds, falling into a network of electrical impulses with Kate at the center. Kate explains that her consciousness became anchored in technology as the time warp healed, but it also made the sentinel aware of other realities. She tells Rachel that she must stop them infecting the multiverse. Flying over the Atlantic Ocean, Cerise's light powers control the body of a sentinel containing the RCX an Excalibur. From the body of the Sentinel, Kitty emerges in a new leathery outfit carrying one of Killpower's guns and tells everyone who can't already shoot lasers out of their eyes or hands or something else that they better arm up. Kylan uses his sound mimicry to imitate one of the Sentinels and they manage to enter the base. Back in the hive, Rachel leaves Kitty's mind and manages to tap into the force field absorbing its energy. She destroys the two Sentinel guards as Kate teleports them to the hierarchy chamber. It sets off an alarm and tries to destroy them but Rachel shields them both from its attack. As the Sentinels mobilize, rachel forms a link with the sentinel hierarchy mind elsewhere excalibur and rcx mount a brave seemingly doomed defense to give rachel and kitty time to save the day and they succeed all the sentinels freeze as rachel reprograms them to protect all life ahab sneaks out from behind the sentinels and throws his spear at rachel or his harpoon rather come on should definitely be a harpoon <laughs> throws his harpoon at rachel but a sentinel plucks his harpoon from midair and <laughs> Stephanie's like editing this as to make sure it's harpoon. But a sentinel plucks his harpoon from midair. As he teleports away, he once again vows to kill Rachel. She doesn't give a shit. It was never about revenge. Excalibur and RCX celebrate their victory, and Rachel tells Excalibur that she's coming back with them to the future, her home. All right, let's do first impressions. You've already given us some of yours, Stephanie, but um, I know you're feeling good about this issue. Any other first impressions you want to share before I kick it to Andrew and Mav?
0: Uh... Amazing colors, just lots of action, lots of of things happening that Davis is so good at drawing and pacing. And also cyber sex. Yes. Uh, <laughs> she, like anyone who knows what they're doing who is writing Kate Pride. This has been true since Uncanny 160. Understands that you that you owe it to Kate to code her as getting the intimacy that she wants with her girlfriend of the moment in a way that Marvel editorial will not be able to take from you. And there are a lot of solutions. Uh, we have merged in the cyber consciousness field because of our ability to merge is one possible <laughs> solution. And it is the one that Davis chooses.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know, <laughs> I like how that's sort of a that's supposed to be a get it of jail free card. But then that of course, introduces all the possibilities of queer intimacy that are inherently bound up in the powers of both characters but uh we will talk about that my first impression is basically i want to spend two hours talking about that one psychedelic i wish i could touch you page but we will definitely get to that um i'll come to you mav um how are how are you feeling about this one you already said that you do like it but you seemed a bit Mm -hmm. hesitant you said you didn't know if it was good but that you like it
2: oh i don't think it's good uh, at all <laughs> i love it um no it's i don't but i don't think it's bad i think it is um define good How, what is what, think, what makes things good i think it is very interesting i think it is very fun i don't think it makes any actual sense if you try to think too hard about it i don't want to because this is great <laughs> um, like the science falls apart the storytelling beats fall apart uh, i think um Steph's breakdown of, you know, Davis knows that he's done and he's trying to finish everything that he needed to finish. This screams, I've got four years left of, of ideas to finish. And I have yeah. twelve more pages, so here yeah. we're gonna go. So we're gonna hit them all. We're gonna get as many of these down as possible. Like that's comics. That's but, comics, that's yeah, comics. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. I don't think it's a what by good. I mean that if I have to critique this as actual craft of writing, as trying to work out, you know, what the what the world's going to be moving forward as. Like I know what happens in the next issue already because I've read the next issue because it was thirty years ago. None of this matters. Um uh, none, none of this is like is going to stick. Kitty gets a new costume here because it's clearly what Davis wanted. He was like, "Oh, by the way, her costume was going to look like this. Enjoy it cuz no one's ever going to draw it again." I'm, I I'm I'm here for it because I love a good jacket. We've talked about jackets on the show before. Um <laughs> and, and this is again, we're we're entering I'll talk about it a little bit later. We're entering the jacket era of comics. Um so <laughs> which which is it's 1993. See uh, and and there's so many thoughts. I like this. It's just not actually like if I had to sit there and go, well, you know, let's compare this to some some of the finest world crafting that Chris Claremont ever did or let's compare this to some of the nuance that is happening under and you know in insert your favorite x writer here right like you you can say um like people like the morrison run this is not that people like the krakoa run that hickman's doing now this is not that this is just silly and it's just getting stuff on the page and i've got no problem with any of that i don't think it's i just can't like
0: like it's not gonna win an eisner i don't care i enjoyed this I, I think you're being... I think you're being so unfair to this good comic. And we can... The Morrison Road is actually a really good parallel. Yeah. Because that also... I mean, sorry. We'll get back to it. But I I, I really want to no prize or defend some of the things that... Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. me
2: too. I just... I, but she... I mean, Anna asked me... Like, I seemed hesitant about it. It's like, uh, I'm not I'm not really hesitant. Because this... I mean, this sounds like complaints. None of these are complaints. I just... Like, I, I, I'm acknowledging... The technical deficiencies of this comic i do not care not okay. even a little okay. bit okay
0: okay, <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean my my immediate defense of it would just be that like, yeah, I agree there's just so much here and Davis handles it about as deftly in terms of his visual storytelling as anyone who has ever yeah. existed would be able to handle it. That's so right. on that level, I'm just so grateful for for what this is. But um yeah, but that's... Andrew, I wanted to I wanted to collect your first impressions as well. And I know that you were doing some reading about Davis leading leaving the book as well. So if you have anything to add on that, go ahead.
3: Uh yeah, I think and I think that kind of speaks to my problem with the issue is just i can't not read it as the end of alan davis's excalibur you know what i mean like there's this somber morbidity hanging over it the entire time uh we were talking before the pod that i i was reading up on um, austin gorton's take on it from real gentlemen of leisure Uh, and he says that this is the end of excalibur's britishness and the end of its farcicality and like, those are two things I really, really like about Excalibur as a comic. I think those are things that make it unique and add a lot of sensibility to the other things that make Excalibur unique and wonderful. So I don't know, I, I feel like we're, we're we're marching into this sort of death-like homogenization, which is a terrible way to perceive what's coming, because there's going to be some nice creative resurgences ahead after a bit of a lull but i don't know i i, I think I, I am reading it as you guys are it's just it's the idea of going out with so much bombast and it is visually stunning um so i i'm happy in that light but i'm also sad that we're, we're losing davis <laughs>
1: Well, can I add just one quick comment, which is that I, I was thinking about this issue and and our conversation to come about this issue while I was driving home from somewhere the other day, and I mm-hmm. kind of I kind of made myself tear up a little bit thinking about yeah. it should have ended with a kitchen scene. It's just denied a three page kitchen scene time. or at least a one page. Oh, I just and I was just like realizing I'll never get that scene the way we deserved that scene did make Still me a little bit emotional. I know. Or built the bot. I know. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, Stephanie, go ahead. I know you wanted to jump of in. Of
0: course there should have been a kitchen scene. There also should have been, like, another exploding bathroom scene. There should have been, uh, you know, an entire page about, like, how the living arrangements change. Like, there should have been, you know, Kitty using the word roommate a lot. Yeah, uh, which is a very important word in X-Comics. Mm-hmm. Um, there should have been a lot of things and there should have been, you know, another year of Alan Davis Excalibur, uh, but there wasn't, and that's comics. And he landed the plane. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. I
0: think the story does, in fact, make sense. I think that the, you you have to no-prize a lot of fake superhero science stuff, but that's hardly unique to this. Uh, of course it's rushed, but given the time, given how few issues he had to work with. I, I'm, I'm really. I, I feel like it hit, it hits almost everything from the right angle. Uh, but of course, I can say this because I am a guest on this show, and I don't have to like record, you know, six to twelve episodes. <laughs> like that is, I, I do not envy you. You know if you want me to come back if you honestly, if you want me to come back and talk about Doug Locke, uh, I will do that. but because uh, that's that stuff's fascinating. But yeah, of course, it's never gonna be this good again. Um, it's gonna be British again. Uh, Warren Ellis is a lot of things. One of them is British. Um, <laughs> Pete Wisdom true. is many, many things that nobody should have to put up with for more than ten seconds. Uh, <laughs> but he's also British. So I think I disagree with Austin that it's gonna stop being British and it's already stopped being farcical.
2: I this would is, push this... back on the farcical thing though. I, would, I think it's I don't think it's going to hit the high points of farcical, but I think that there are moments that are coming. Um, Here? Wait, no, no. the same in, way as the Britishness, right? In this
0: think... no, in, in this in this issue. This yeah. is an issue that is it doesn't have any jokes for the same reason that like the original Star Wars trilogy doesn't really have any jokes. The science fantasy aspect requires so much suspension of disbelief that it would pop like a balloon if somebody yeah. tried to make a joke about it. Hmm. And and Davis knows that.
1: This is a very, very genuine issue. And despite the fact that we all clearly love the farcicalness of Excalibur, that genuineness of this issue really lands. Yeah. The absence
0: of farce not only enables the sort of science fantasy flying robot fake hacker stuff to work it's also one of the things that people who are getting into their first romantic or erotic relationships are afraid of is being laughed at and when we get these moments of romantic intimacy between psychedelic time displaced projected kate and psychedelic time displaced rachel uh that is a whole conversation about you know what are we to each other and and where are we and and how are we connected and it's very important that all of that take place very far away from anything that looks like a joke
1: yeah 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 All right, well, let's let's talk about that scene, because we obviously talked a little bit about that, well, a a lot about the transformation of of Kitty into Widget in our last episode with Nola, but I'd love Mm -hmm. to hear your thoughts about it, Stephanie, and I said I wanted to talk about queer temporalities, I have a bunch of stuff on it, but I'm happy to just let you talk about it, because you know this stuff, (laughs) like
0: the back of your hand. You know this this stuff as much as I do.
1: But like, what what do you make of that transformation of Kitty into Widget? Like, what does that do for our understanding of Kitty as a character? And I mean, specifically related to her queerness, but it doesn't have to be specifically that. I'm just interested in any thoughts you have about it.
0: So Kitty becoming Widget is confusing because we have this sort of spirit of Kitty in, in, in Widget, uh, who creates sound effects and gives us that whole one page spread that's sort of very lightly inked so that negative space can be used so well where we get kitty's face just popping out in green against the red and yellow and orange of the the rachel's phoenix costume um where they talk about how connected they are and how how kitty has been absorbed and can see all of time at once and all of space it's hard to think when i see so much at once i think that's kitty talking uh Mm -hmm. one technical flaw here in this in this panel is that it's not it's not entirely clear which speech balloons or thought balloons belong to rachel and which ones belong to kitty but context can usually tell you yeah 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 that was that was just i i want to say that that's a Janice chang's a wonderful letterer here but that does seem like it may be on the letterer rachel appears to be romantically connected both to future time displaced roboticized software kitty who is widget and also to present day terminator kitty who sort of poses with rachel at the end where they're both going to go home to present day earth 616 uh rachel is sort of dating two kitties at once and that's (laughs) that's okay If you haven't read Days of Future Present, which is a story that's not referenced at all in which Rachel and Franklin Richards get attached uh, in in the future, then it's easy to read this as Rachel's first romantic relationship. And that adds to the pathos. They're really learning how to be connected, and they're learning how to be connected in a weird way that has to do with their powers and their missions on that, that psychedelic negative space looks like a Journey album page. Um, and for everyone younger than me, uh, the band Journey does, don't, did don't stop believing, and they were famous at the time for their psychedelic album covers, which hold up rather better than a lot of music. Um, no complaints. Okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, it really does look like a Journey album. I'm with you. I'm Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a song called Precious Time with a harmonica in it that I still love that was on uh, a Journey album in 1938 uh, that I bought because I'm old. But so... so <laughs> This is, we have this kind of connection that makes it hard to think. I thought I was dreaming and it turned out to be real. And we have to go save the world and we have to go save the multiverse. And I feel like I was being torn apart and they have to work together to put everything back together. And it is so real on the allegorical queerness and transness level on which, you know, all the best kitty stories work because... And, and this is my hobby horse, a lot of very good Kitty stories are about not having a body. You know what the last time was that we saw Kitty in outlined negative space apparently coming apart? It was Fantastic Four versus X-Men number three, which is only a few years old. Davis is not involved in it. It's a Claremont story. And it's the one. it's one of the two places where we really get into Kitty's suicidal ideation. The yeah, other yeah. one being The Sword is Drawn. Kitty yeah. thinks a lot about whether she wants to continue to exist if she doesn't have the support she wants from other mutants and from her friends and from her partners going forward. She really, she sometimes really struggles with whether it's worth going on or whether she should just let herself discorporate. We haven't seen that in a while, but this is at the very least an unintentional visual echo of Fantastic Four versus X-Men where Kitty really needs help staying in this plane. And once she does get to stay in this plane, she can help save everyone. It's so beautiful. And the way that her eyes and her lips on this page are looking up out of this purely sort of software virtual picture plane towards Rachel, who is fully three-dimensional, like a person flying. And it's Kitty looking at Rachel and saying, I need your help and you need my help. And also I have emerged from the software in which I lived and you're my anchor to physical space. And she's someone who needs that anchor, which goes all the way back to the sword is drawn. It's I'm, I'm crying inside. Uh, and, And then, and then we, and then we get back to the Kitty who was not disembodied and not living in Widget and not connected to the psychedelic future and who has instead decided to dress up like she's in a Terminator movie, which, no. (laughs) (laughs) Just absolutely not. Yeah, I...
1: I I the disconnect between the sense. two kitties is a bit difficult because I want this bond to continue into the kitty Rachel relationship and it's almost like that's despite the butchness of that look which is queer coded like it's just yeah. that avenue seems so shut off compared to the beauty of that psychedelic page.
0: Well, at least we get it at the full page kind of pinup at the end. Yeah, yeah, which uses the same, I believe it's the same uh, left to right order as the one from number 65 that you've talked mm-hmm. about, where you you put Kitty with Lockheed on one side of her and Rachel on the other. And then Nightcrawler's next to Cerise and Brian is next to Megan and Farron is just scowling at everyone. <laughs> it just doesn't, doesn't want to be an Excalibur. I mean, as much as he can, Davis has left the door open for present day 616 kitty and and rachel to be a couple
1: yeah there's just there's so much like this page is just I don't know like I said I had like all this stuff about queer temporalities and I was kind of catching myself up with some of my research I've done way long ago about that kind of stuff but I I don't want to give a whole lesson about it but I just will say just in brief that sort of the concept of queer temporalities is bound up in understandings of how we can or sometimes are forced to queer time you know it has to do with Freudian understandings of human sexual and emotional development which are very linear sort of leading to ideals of heterosexual reproduction. If you're not into heterosexual reproduction, you're not following that linear model, right? So that's like one way of conceiving of it. It's also bound up in the idea of the performativity of gender. You know, if you're not performing the expected actions, the expected sort of aspects of gender correctly, or you're not repeating them in the right order, or you're repeating them in a delayed fashion, anything like that, right, can be a a, a way of queering time. There's also sort of ideas related to queer pasts and queer futures and you know what do we want the queer future to look like and what elements of the past should carry with us into that future and so many of those kind of theoretical concepts could be really interesting when applied to the ways the Rachel character in this comic and the Kate character in this comic are both beings that queer space and time they're beings who are anchored to multiple points throughout the multiverse they're characters who have the ability to phase through borders either through telepathy or through phasing power, they're merged and connected through those powers and through the psychic link, which is established in the deep emotional bond between these characters, both through their powers and through that emotional bond, which exceeds their powers in some ways. So all of those things are kind of bound up in this. And just, gosh, the visualization of it too, like a bunch of the things that Stephanie already said, I mean, you know, Kitty's gaze looking at Rachel, sort of that open mouth, which can be a signal of pain, but there's also an implied pleasure here as well because the joy of them reconnecting is very evident in the scene you know as as Stephanie was saying you know Kitty could disincorporate she stays because of Rachel Rachel anchors her here and that's so beautiful and even the ways I sort of like the fact that sometimes you can't tell who's speaking because that is part of the merging that's happening here but also just some of the lines of dialogue like in the first panel which is like sort of the rainbow stream of things very much in developing rachel's body as she's got sort of her mouth open and you know an expression that could mean different things but patterns of force electrical impulses yet they feel like kate she's feeling kate yeah right and that's a very deliberate word choice and i already mentioned the line that's on the next panel it's good to see you again rachel my love you've grown i wish we could touch but they did, are yeah. touching and they're touching in such an intimate mm-hmm. and beautiful way and such a ah, it's I don't want to like <laughs> say that it has to be like a female way but there is something about literal organisms don't have the same refractory period. And that has to do with like discussions of female sexualities as fluid and circular and infinite in some ways, which is not really that because, you know, it's actually the mechanical processes are quite similar, but that's why that often comes up in, in sort of embodied experiences, talking about those things and just thinking about the circle imagery we had in the last issue and the fluid imagery we have here. It's a way of representing queerness under the auspices of the code. We've talked about that many times, times you know that presence and absence of super sex but even without that i think it would be sort of a beautiful scene and in some ways it is a very overt representation of a very queer sexuality and i just love this scene to pieces i i other than the fact that we're not allowed to say that it is canonical because technically asterisk, it isn't. Like it so is, like it's so deliberate and it's so present.
0: Can we talk about queer temporality a little more? I think I'm gonna, I think I see a a non-podcast and I I think you can expect some more side communications from me very soon uh, uh, about this. And I wanna wanna give Andrew and and Mav a a chance to, to talk, but I wanna hit the queer temporality button once more There's all kinds of discussions of that in in academia. My least favorite just says, well, time is weird for queer people because queer people are subversive and we subvert everything. Um, Beyond that, there's uh, a medievalist called Carolyn Dinshaw, who's writing about how, who writes writes about how being displaced in time and seeming out of time and experiencing time as topsy-turvy and living in multiple times at once uh, seems, at least to Carolyn Dinshaw, quite queer. And then my favorite, for a lot of comic storytelling, the use of this, idea is we are often told that queer attachments and queer feelings including trans feelings are are a phase that we're going to grow out of right sure you think the love of your life is your best friend from you know ninth grade and you're pining because actually, she seems to want to date guys and doesn't want to kiss you. But don't worry, you'll when you're older, you'll understand and you'll date men too. And I mean, you might, or you might not, or you might enjoy kissing men, but you're still really in love with your best friend, who's another girl. There is a very strong presumption in mainstream culture in, among you know adults and caregivers that that queerness is often a thing you grow out of, and uh, often it's not. But that means that. Overt queerness is often coded as childishness or as failure to be adult or as failure to inhabit the life course in which you grow out of same-sex attachments into opposite sex, dating, into marriage, into procreation. And Kitty is, and her same-sex partners are consistently a locus for queer temporality. Right? Kitty famously Writers don't know how old she is Even the writers who know her well have her turn 15 Twice. Uh, I believe we've (laughs) talked About that together. Of her Two uh, really Significant long term same sex partners One of them is Rachel Summers who moves around In time all the time and sometimes using the Phoenix Force seems to move outside time. And the other one, of course, spent a number of years in limbo and then died and then came back to life. And wow. how old is Ileana? And you wouldn't want to have her birthdays. But Kitty is, is very, very tied to queer temporality in almost every significant story that has been told about her. And in the sort of extra diegetic who's writing the comics and what do they know stories that are told around her about how so many writers will not let her grow up.
1: Yeah, sorry, just one thing, one thing quick, Andrew, and then I'll come to you with it, because I was going to come to you because I do really want to hear your thoughts. But um, just I love that idea, though, because it's like the resistance to predicted patterns, well, not predicted, like expected patterns of of maturation can be a real true rebellion. And that is partly what you can read into something like this sort of because time is circular and multidimensional and all of those things. It's a refusal of that. But it's also instead of growing out of queerness, they're growing into queerness. Yes. you know, like how much have you grown, and so that is signaled there, but it's also the older kitty as Kate, they're growing towards something queer, not away from something queer, and I think that's part of the beauty of this as well
0: yeah, and davis Alan davis had to to make sure that uh older Colossus was out of the way.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, mm-hmm.
0: I recommend getting Colossus out of the way as fast as possible <laughs> <time we> <laughs> right, it's uh, it, you know uh, but but in you know the. Original days of Future Past story uh, was after after Kitty had been established as a, a point of view character, an important character, but really before her queerness had been established, and she, uh, her, you know, she had a very important attachment to Peter there.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, and that's that's not the attachment that's important now.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, Andrew, I did want to hear your thoughts about it because I was, you know, we've talked about sort of those psychic bonds and Claremont and the queer coding of that and stuff. I mean, what are your thoughts about how that relates or compares to what we have here? You know, I I don't want to go back to that like intentionality question, but I mean, uh, it's something that is interesting in terms of... Is this what Davis wants to read, wants us to read in this scene? Or is it incidentally that this type of thing actually does happen a lot in superhero comics? So this is more of a superhero comics are inherently queer thing than a Kate and Rachel are (laughs) queer thing. You you know what I mean?
3: I I do. I think... That's not a question I I feel equipped to answer, but I do think one of the things that, like, does line up really well that that I wanted to speak to a little bit when we talk about queer temporalities is the significance of Kate Pride as a mentor to Rachel. Yeah. um, And how that works in terms of her sexuality as well. Because Rachel is always part of her queer coding is that she's isolated and doesn't have a sense of direction. She doesn't know how to do things. She has Kitty Pride, but Kitty Pride is a child. uh, And I don't know, I think the idea of having the past Cape Pride reach backward and kind of bridge that divide a little bit For me, that's why this scene gives hope for a Kitty and Rachel relationship in the future. Rachel's always characterized as alone and sad and doesn't know which way to go. And in the scene, it's it's literally Kate Pride reaching back and saying, this is the way to go. Um, So I I think that maybe connects some of the temporality with the sexuality and works really, really well with what Claremont and Davis have built together with Rachel and even what Claremont had built with Rachel um,
0: far beforehand. Yeah, I I think that's right. I, I agree with you. Mav? Uh,
2: more of the same, but with—I mean, Anna—you tried to sidestep the intentionality, but I will return to it just <laughs> because of something that I said a long, long time ago on the show, which is sort of a an expansion of the idea of the author is dead. I don't care about the intentionality because I think the I think the power of it is specifically that the intentionality doesn't matter. I honestly don't think davis is trying to do a queer coding thing at all and that's why it doesn't matter because i think what makes the characters work all of them uh, with with kitty's refusal to grow up you know if you want to i mean that's like ignoring the actual time traveling powers of Ilyana or rachel kitty has no time traveling powers at least not normally canonically but the character does not age even more so than other characters don't age for a long time in uh, in comics right like Stephanie just pointed out that she turns 15 twice in this book arguably another <laughs> time in X-Men depending on how you read that particular uh, that p- particular occurrence and then she oh, yeah, ages yeah, and then Claremont deages her and it, it, like so much of that happens because i i think she is allowed to represent whatever non-normativity you you the reader not you any of us on the show but you the listener the reader whoever is picking up a Kitty Pride comic me, right me, now me actually hi i'm on oh, the show <laughs>
0: yeah, there you go but
2: but but anybody who anybody who's picking up a Kitty Pride comic at the time she is positioned as a cipher pov character where you can be dealing with your your problems with, and I don't mean problems like something's wrong. Your problems coming to understand your own sexuality. Be positioned as your uh, problems trying to understand your own adolescence, your own Jewishness, your own otherness in some other vague sense. Because she works very well there. You know, everything from not having a body um, mm-hmm. sometimes to having a superpower, which is essentially to to go away, to you know, to 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 not be noticed, to you know. Walk through walls, like everything about her just sort of positions her as this character that can be transitional. yeah, um is it is that a fair way of putting it? and i i but i I don't mean that or I don't necessarily mean that just as in a transitioning as in a gender sort of thing, though it works there. transitional as in a you know a liminal character between two spaces, and it can be any two spaces. And that's that's the power of keeping her at fifteen. I think that one of the one of the problems with aging her in comics traditionally has been that I want her to represent that still um, as I'm reading her in 2022. But I also understand the need to have her grow some, and it ends up with weird tension places, right? Like I, I like like I, I need her to not have figured herself out because if she's a competent strong, I'm ready to be a mentor. I am the professor of the school uh-huh. kitty that she was a couple of years ago. Yeah. I find her massively boring, right? If she's a if she's a character who is, I don't know, do I love Peter? Do I love other Peter? Do I love Ilyana? Do I love Rachel? Do I want to be on my own? Do I you know, like that's the kitty that I'm interested in. Uh, and for- uh, well, but 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 I but, I, but, I, but I'm going, that's my point. That's the kitty that I want. I want yeah. I want her to struggle. So I understand why some people don't. But yeah. like, what I like about her is that she never figures it out. In the same way, I like about you know a Peter Parker. Yeah, who's, makes sense. To, a, who's always trying to like pay his rent, even so though his wife is I, literally wealthy.
1: I, <laughs> I, uh, uh, go ahead, Stephanie. Uh, so go ahead. I
0: I love listening to you talk about comics, and I always <laughs> learn. Yeah, I always learn from your takes and I see what you mean and I think you're you're not wrong about no. how <laughs> the way that she's often written in the 80s uh, makes her a a reader surrogate. Yeah. In many mm-hmm. ways, one of which is that she's you know literally young and she hasn't figured a lot of stuff out, but I think even even by the time we get to this this point of the issue we're, we're discussing in Excalibur she's figured out some things about what she wants to do and how she wants to see herself as a future leader and she's become much more confident than she was when the team started she's willing to you know literally lead people into battle and I think that she's hard she has proven hard for people who are not named Claremont to depict <laughs> as someone who see who actually yeah. she's over 18 but that's not – that doesn't make her boring when she's an adult. And the fact that she's hard to write as an adult uh, doesn't mean, oh, my God, I never want her to grow up. She's no good. At oh, you. no,
2: what no, no. Yeah, didn't, I, don't, I didn't mean to imply it, that at all.
0: I mean, but she's not – when she's been well-written mm-hmm. uh, as, as a college student, as a graduate student, as someone who is co-running or running a school, I have a lot of problems with the Guggenheim run. But I think that Guggenheim actually got Kitty herself pretty well. And she, when she is shown as an adult, and we also got this in the Jerry Duggan marauders, i, I don't I don't like what Steve Orlando' is doing with her, which at the moment is killing her. Uh, but um <laughs> something else that that Jerry Duggan understood, you can wake up one morning. And realize that you have adult responsibilities and you're supposed to be in charge of children mm-hmm. <laughs> and realize that that when you look inside of yourself, you're still 15 and you still haven't figured stuff out. And yet somehow people look up to you and you're supposed to be responsible and consistent and show up for work and be this figure who other people see as uh, someone who can guide them along their path and so adult... if you happen
2: to be a college professor who reads funny books for a living yes I mean, absolutely yeah
0: <laughs> no i mean I, obviously i i pretty much yes uh, ev- I everything I, I don't know that i've ever had a conversation about uh, kate pride that's not about me but that is a <laughs> that is a real thing
1: yeah
0: I that agree. is a real thing and the the pressure that to some extent i think andrew and mav are putting on 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 kate to decide who she is and how wonderful it is that she doesn't know, uh, we will now talk about bisexual erasure, um, mm-hmm. right? Well, because decide, right? Because right, because that you know decide who this and and also about poly erasure, decide who you're dating, decide who you like, decide what you want right. your romantic life to be, decide what you want your career to be. No no, there are 24 hours in the day and oh, yes. you need a okay, certain amount of calories. Yeah, uh, but no, you actually don't have to choose. You and mean
2: ironically, we will not talk about it. I thought you, I thought you said you didn't, I, I, I misunderstood. No, no, I thought we you were saying now, you didn't want to use it. Yeah. We
0: will now talk about bisexual yes, erasure because part of, part, of who, part of who Kate grows up to be yes. is someone who is surrounded by demands for monogamy mm. and for not bisexuality. Right, And when, when Marvel lets writers do this, which uh, is rare. Which is quite rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, which happened for uh, about an issue and a half of Marauders, um, yeah. the best issue. <laughs> uh, Kate, you know, Kate gets to say. You want me to make a commitment? I don't have to make a commitment to be a responsible adult and be mm -hmm. the captain of a pirate ship. Yes,
2: which is a which is a teen, not even a teen. It's a preteen fantasy, right? Like her, like her job right now. In the what I think makes uh, I'm going to use different names to distinguish. I'm going to refer to Excalibur Kitty as Kitty and modern day Kate as Kate. Fine, Um, fine. Just to make it. um, What I find interesting about 2022 Kate Pride is that she has grown as a character mm-hmm. but has not become I, I didn't like her as head mistress of the gene gray school because i thought she was too together i thought she had figured it out too much i'm okay with her growing up i grew up i just want to see her struggle because i because i do right a lot of people I, I know a lot of fans who completely reject the peter relationship the peter um relationship because it's creepy and lots of lots of reasons i've always embraced it because it's exactly the relationship that a 13 year old girl should want it's it's only creepy on the one side right yeah 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 it's only only creepy on his side um and so (laughs) and i don't like i don't want kitty to be gay i want kitty to be bi i don't want kitty to be monogamous I want Katie to be in love with – to be deeply in love with, like, four – deeply romantically in love, I should say, with three, potentially five, very specific people and not able to deal with it because she's still struggling – to figure out what that means in her life, and in exactly the same way as Steph just said it with um the you know the yeah. selfishness of because I had to deal with that myself oh, right you can, you can <laughs> be that's exactly what it is
0: you to... can be uh, a teacher with a great deal of responsibility for children, yes, uh, and still have you know no idea how to deal with the three people you're in love with, one of whom wants you to be monogamous, and one of yes. whom is not allowed to be shown on panel uh, and I, I think that's. <laughs> That's exactly I right. We're on the same page. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah, why when you yeah. said,
2: no, let's not talk about the
0: bisexual part. I'm like, no, no, no. no, no I said, we will now. No, that yes, was just no, the mean. word now coming across as not. No, this yeah, is... gotcha. And one of the the brilliant things about Claremont Kitty and Claremont and Davis Kitty is that the the toy soldiers have been wound up and the springs have been set in motion so thoroughly that Alan Davis doesn't even have to go out of his way to show how deeply and romantically attached to each other kitty Mm -hmm. and rachel are Mm -hmm. it's just if you know if you if you know what the characters have done on panel you're going to continue that relationship and and that's my favorite thing about both kitties here Uh, my least favorite is and i suppose it is and we were I, i was saying there's no humor in here there's no nothing farcical in here but there is i think a running gag which is now we are a 90s comic there must be large guns. Uh, Excalibur will be yeah. literally rebranded yeah. as an enormous gun. Yeah. And we are going to introduce a character named Killmaster, who is <laughs> ridiculous and who looks like Hyperion dressed up as the Punisher. <laughs> Uh, In order to demonstrate that Kitty knows more about how to use guns than he does, he just happens to own a lot of guns. Yes. Uh, And in order to sort of say to Marvel Editorial and to the readers and to the culture in, I guess, 1993, is this really what you want? Is what you want tons and tons of guns? Yes, that's what they wanted. I was there. Yeah, yeah, I was not reading comics at that time, and, and I missed I missed out on the right era, I think. Okay. Uh, yes. I, and I, I kind of liked how up to this, really up to this issue, even, even in number 66, Alan Davis was able to say, you know, not in my story, to the demand for pouches and bullets and... <laughs> <laughs> you know, actual guns that kill people. And and here he lets them in because it's a war story, uh, because everybody likes the Terminator movies, uh, because mm-hmm. there's a bit of a tradition of, I just saw this movie and now I'm going to tell a story yeah, yeah. about and it. Yeah, and <laughs> it. And it's his last one. Yeah, and it's his last one. And there's a pun because his run has been terminated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I, I hate it. But I see why it's there.
2: Can we talk about the 90s ness of this issue a little bit? Well, so, yeah, it's the least
0: yeah. 90s. It's the least 90s that a 90s issue can be because it looks yeah. like an island. Everyone has feet. You can see But it's their also feet. the most. Okay, so a weird thing about the 90s is um,
2: I like to believe that culturally the 90s didn't really start till about 1993. 90, yeah. Late 92. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it was the it was the 1990s, but the but 1991 and 92 were really kind of part of the 80s still. In 1993, in comics especially, you get like the image comics opens up and explodes in 1992 over the course of 1992. Yeah. By 1993, all comic books are Youngblood, all comic books. There, there is nothing else but Youngblood. Youngblood's barely coming out because Rob was perpetually late. But this is the Avengers jacket era, which I refer to so much so that in the paper copy of this comic book, there is a, I think, 10 page inset called Maximum Anniversary Experience, which just shows the bold new looks for the Avengers and X-Men going forward, where everybody gets a jacket, everybody gets a jacket, everyone gets a gun. That's where we are. And then like even outside of comics, this is the this is the era where Eastern Championship Wrestling becomes extreme championship wrestling, ECW. Aww. Like this is this is so much 90s-ness happens. And it's all about this weird excess to the point of everything is cool dude and how much can we murder we've taken absolutely the wrong lessons from dark knight and from watchmen and you know and we and are applying it across the board and it's literally just about how much blood can we shed how cool can we look doing it let you know this character isn't cool enough looking can we toss some pouches or zippers on their on their outfit to make it and the excess of it I love because as a as a fledging cultural stu- studies student, you know, I was an undergrad at this point. Yeah, I going to college like I was aware of it while it was happening and I could see it like as a comic book fan in like in 1993 I can, and who I mean by by now I've left my job at the comic book store my high school job yeah. and I'm in college and I can see it happening and the most illustrative of, of this is Dane Whitman the Black Knight from the Avengers yeah. who is wearing his armor with a leather jacket over it and <laughs> I loved it I was like oh my God this epitomizes he has got rid of, he's gotten rid of his uh, ebony blade he is now carrying a lightsaber <laughs> instead because lightsabers dude and he's wearing a leather jacket over chainmail armor, Why? and it's like this was the '90s, yeah. And, and that's and, and I and I actually I I always kind of like the jackets, like jackets on tossing a jacket on Black Widow. That makes sense; she could be cold. She's just a human. rogue, yeah, rogue, sure, it's a yeah. good jacket, yeah. Okay. But like, given the jacket to given the jacket to Black Knight, I was like, what is going on here? And that was just that's just what comics became from like 1993 through 1999, and I and this comic. This comic, I think, is just sort of... It's almost great that it's Davis's last one because it's, it's him going, all right, I'm going to do it, and then I'm out of here. One yeah. time. This is it.
0: I'm out. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. Well, and, and the way that it's allotted to specific characters and that there mm-hmm. is one character who is super 90s who's an absolute doofus, and I'm, I'm looking at uh, Brian. There's a panel where Brian puts kill Power in a headlock <laughs> yeah. and just says can we not have another misunderstanding based fight can you not be so 90s uh and then we get one of these i think davis is at this point going out of the way to draw them We there's a page turn and uh kill power has been unkill powered or something uh, has been convinced to stop fighting because captain britain is otherwise going to cut off his windpipe And then we get all of the members of Excalibur standing together and Kitty holding Lockheed and reminding us that Lockheed is a member of the team. Which is very mm-hmm. important. I mean, this is a book about big feelings and Britain and possible futures and the unique affordances of the comics medium for storytelling, and that's what Alan Davis does. Uh, that you know, if, if you want to see realistic guns going off, you can see Saving Private Ryan, or you can just see a Terminator movie where mm-hmm. the guns look like guns because they are guns because they have a props budget. Why would you do that in comic books? And the answer is to sell comics to the people who were buying Youngblood. I guess yeah. I don't know, uh, but it's it's Davis saying thanks. I hate it to yeah. everything that you represents. <laughs>
3: yeah,
2: it's
0: yeah. So, but it,
2: but it, but it, but there is intentionality behind it to go back yeah. to that term before. Like it, oh, yeah, like the fact that Kitty's like, hi, I'm hardcore now. Just here's my gun. Hey yeah. everybody. And like what are you doing <laughs> and yeah I, and, I, and i and i think it is so ridiculous that um you know if you're gonna leave the book why not right like and I, and I really feel you know like where does her like even on that last panel the you know the group shot at the last panel yeah she's gotten she's gotten her artfully ripped bare midriff shirt now i mean she's wearing um spandex under it so it's not really bare midriff but yeah. like her her tank top rips just so that it looks cool.
0: Wait, I've got that panel right here. She's got she's got her hair back down the way the, the way that she doesn't need to be the Butch because Rachel's back, right? Yeah, uh, and yeah. she's got her shades, and she, Kitty has liked jackets for a long time, right? The blue yeah. the blue classic Excalibur costume had, had a jacket, uh, and she's got she's got her her tank top, and you know she's a dancer. Mm-hmm. She's, she's got, got a belt tilted
2: to the side because sure. it's the '90s,
0: right? Uh, <laughs> and I mean. She also hasn't had the chance to take it off uh, because they've, you know, just won. I'm, I'm actually okay with that as, that as a kitty outfit. Oh, it's uh, a
1: good outfit. I'd wear but, that. But
0: look at look at Lockheed. Where did Lockheed get the extra pair of shades? Lockheed <laughs> has the extra pair of <laughs> <pairs>. <laughs> uh, and, and, I believe he has a gun shades. at one point.
1: He does, he does.
0: And we've also got uh, technically two kitties because Widget is right there behind her.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, You know what would have been great? Uh, and And this... If I had literally infinite time, I think I would just write this. I believe Widget just disappears from the book because Widget stays on Earth 811 along with Tangerine and everybody. But it would have been really fun to see Kitty hang out with her own time-displaced head, like robot head person, (laughs) knowing that, that Widget is her. Right. And with widget mm-hmm. able to speak, speak English instead of just going bleepity bleep time some somewhere across time caper. It would have been really fun to see Kitty communicate with her future self in widget. But yeah, a lot of things, yeah. a lot of things would have been fun. We have what we have and, and we mm-hmm. should be yeah. grateful for the Alan Davis that we've we've had. What else were we going to talk about that we haven't reached yet? Because there's other stuff.
1: I know we need to talk about a couple more things. I just, yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I gotta do a predictable observation of mine was that I like the like Kill Power scene where he punches Kurt because <laughs> like it is like I don't know it's just how Davis draws Kurt but it's the same time it's like Kill Power's excessive 90s-ness and Kurt is just being punched so beautifully and falling so gracefully and <laughs> <laughs> it's just it reminds me of that comment you said about like which characters get guns you know it's like well kitty and nightcrawler have to get guns because they can't exist in the 90s without guns they're not that's not the nature of those characters you know and <laughs> we're gonna yeah. see some changes in nightcrawler to kind of try to make him more extreme we're Edgy. gonna yeah we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna see some of that happen to try to make it work and i'm not even against some of those changes there's some nightcrawler stuff coming up i'm excited to talk about but still i sort of like some of those oppositions that were that were kind of being set up here i thought that was interesting.
0: And you can uh, see I'm, I'm looking at that last panel. I'm looking at at the extremely expressive faces. You see Kitty looking at the reader saying I love happy endings. I am as always your reader viewpoint character and I'm looking at you and you know stay tuned. Rachel is looking seductively salaciously really straight at kitty like you know what we're gonna do next uh (laughs) rachel is established as significantly taller than kitty which uh i as as a femme i like um (laughs) uh kurt seems very happy to be entangled both with rachel and with with cerise and he's just again looking at the reader farron is scowling and sad kylan is just happy to be there Yeah. Uh, Lockheed loves being with Kitty and wearing shades. Megan loves Captain Britain. And Captain Britain Uh. does not look happy to be there. (laughs) Captain Britain is looking at the reader and saying, no one will ever understand me again.
1: Oh, God. I am
0: not sure that I am (sighs) supposed to be here. I am, you know, I don't know what's next for me, but it's not going to be good. Uh, And, of course, he's right.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's only been 29 years and you know any day now
1: well well let's well
3: yeah.
1: let's talk about that a little bit because my next question was going to be like you know let's talk about other climaxes you know this is the end of the journey of the characters as they were known in the Claremont Davis era and they're going to be transitioning to another era so let's talk about the climaxes of these journeys I mean another one of the things that like I both love and it's painful about this issue is that he gives us all these glimpses of possible futures in a way right there is this moment with kurt and cerise where she's doing the driving the sentinel thing and you know he's like oh like i love her and she's so powerful and we're connected yeah. and there's like a couple little moments with them and i'm like this is the most i've bought their relationship like ever just seeing them work together like that i didn't completely buy it but it was like i want to buy it with how he's like it's again a glimpse of a possible future he tries to give us that with you know Megan and Brian you know again I don't really buy that one either but he tries to give that to us and obviously we've talked lots about the the yeah. Kitty slash Kate Rachel thing already that's another glimpse of a possible brought, future that we could have
2: right I brought the Megan and Brian one more um, What? not because I not because I want Megan and Brian to be together but because Alan Davis clearly does yeah Alan Davis sees and and it, oh, it, this I is him know. saying look they're my characters. This is the end of their story. And Brian, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's wishy washy and stupid. And, and, uh, but, but I get it. He's saying, look, okay, maybe I do only love you because part of part of how you look and maybe you only love me because part of how I look, but that's who we are. And that's okay. And I'm like, all right, if that's the lesson you want to do like fine. I mean, like given what he's been doing for the last 20 issues, that makes sense to be where he wants to go. I I don't don't, think
3: so
1: yeah, I, I'm, gonna, I can, I'm, gonna, I can, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree too, but I'm not saying I like it. Too, but, yeah. sorry, I like say I'm I saying, I, I I'm saying it makes
2: sense given where he's going. Um, yeah. I don't I don't buy the Cerise Kurt thing at all because I still don't know why he thinks that they're a couple. I I mean I understand that they are male and female on this yeah, team yeah, yeah. and therefore they are hooking up <laughs> because, <laughs> because like yeah. because I don't know they both happen to have genitals. Like, I, know, I get I that. But like like you said, it's the most you've bought their relationship. I don't I don't understand why they like each other at all. Give me something. I mean, I talked about this at Live on the Chaos episode. I don't want to do it in here. But give me something anything. I don't like anything for for me to hang on well, to. Cerise like, is I, just
0: I, under. Cerise has okay. never been yeah. characterized. Like right, I I don't know what it. she's like and, yeah. and you and she's have been to there just know a while. Yeah. 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 We also don't know if she has genitals actually. Like we should just, <laughs> should just we we've not. never we, we we've never not. seen them. She's she's not human like she's she's good in a fight and she's cute and i can absolutely see kurt wanting to smooch her even if it's not in order to you know misdirect a bunch of people on cloud nine yeah but also if you if you look at what davis is doing there like cerise is looking at kurt and cerise thinks there's something there and you know what what does what does she know and if we were playing the game uh the role-playing game masks cerise would be an outsider so she doesn't, she doesn't know. Uh, Kurt isn't looking at Cerise. Kurt is looking at us. Yeah. Because he yeah. knows that he's going to be with us and he is a core member of the TMX caliber and he's going to be fine. And, I mean, the other thing about these relationships, like, I bet that, that many of our listeners know people who seem to hook up really fast and you're not sure why they're together, but, like, oh, you only know one of the partners very well uh, and the other one's kind of mysterious. And I bet that we know people who just have been dating forever and maybe have been married forever and just like can't stay apart. And it's sometimes you look at them, interact, and you think maybe they would be better apart, but that's not going to happen. And this, I think, is, is more common for me with straight and straight passing couples where the culture told them to get together and they got together quite young and they're just there. And the amount of energy required to move Megan and Brian from their current troubled, affectionate, couple state uh over as they say in physics and chemistry a kind of energy hump into a lower energy stable state where they're apart that would take a lot of a lot of energy and you know i'm okay with where these characters end up they're not all in healthy places but they're all in places that have that are plausible stopping points for their arc i I, again i think that alan davis really landed the plane
2: i have a question for you (sighs) on that stuff well, yeah, I I, I, we got to let Andrew talk <laughs> yeah, well, about this Andrew, I'm, no, no yeah, well, go I'm, ahead. I, cause I, I just want no, because because I, I, I think it's going to lead into because I I feel like Steph's answering almost the same way as I am, which is it's not so much that I like Megan and Brian together here, it's that I'm resigned to it, and I'm going, all right, fine. Is that fair, <laughs> Steph? Like, is that because uh, I because I know Andrew's going to like kill them in a second. So, but like, I just want to. It's not like I'm like, oh yeah, what a lovely story. It's more like. Okay, I guess I guess we're doing that. That's fine. But this
0: is how lovely stories do end. You save the oh, world, gosh. and you get one beautiful couple who are right for each other together, and then some other people who maybe shouldn't be together stay together because that's how the world <laughs> works.
2: <laughs> okay, absolutely. I wasn't
0: sure when you said beautiful.
2: I thought you were. Good. I thought you meant then. I'm like beautiful. I mean, they're blonde, I guess. Like <laughs> no, no,
0: no. <laughs>
1: No, I'm sorry, Andrew. Andrew, please tell us, tell us why you hate it.
3: Okay, so um, <laughs> I've always said that Davis kind of oscillates between um, um, wanting to romanticize Brian and Megan and complicating it in sort of... um. um lockstep with what Claremont was doing. He does great stuff with Megat as an individual character, finding her agency and power and that kind of stuff. Sometimes he tries to push them together and then sometimes he shows a clear awareness that it is a toxic relationship, that it's a damaging relationship. So to have that portrayed in a three-panel sequence, I think it is, in which he just he's introduced conflict to their relationship. He's introduced self-awareness to their relationship in the last three issues. And all of that awareness is thrown out in an empty monologue of none of our problems have been resolved, but please hold me forever anyway.
1: And I hate
3: that so much.
1: <laughs> okay. And this
2: what happens. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, my complaint about it is, you know, I asked a question about trajectories for the characters and it's just, How has anything with either of them actually changed in 67 issues of Excalibur? It doesn't feel to me like it has changed at all. And maybe that's the point. Maybe I can head candidate into like, that's just the nature of their relationship. But the final, you know, interaction other than the hug at the end between Brian and Megan is Megan isn't paying attention and Brian jumps on her to save her. And like, that's where we are. Like, I mean, his usefulness to her is that. That is the moment that really didn't land for me. I don't yeah, it's condescending. I don't yeah. like it. I don't like it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm it's not great. Uh <laughs> stop caring about them. And, well,
3: I mean, yeah. Well, and I love that exploration of a toxic relationship. It's yeah, brilliant when it's on.
2: But it's not here. That's what that's what I'm yeah, saying. No, like, exactly. I, it's not. I, this is this is I said it a while ago. He's got four four years worth of story left and twelve pages to do it in. Yeah, but this is a bad
1: turn. It's just like, I I know I'm doing the rewriting the story thing, but like (laughs) we had the buildup of like, would you love me if I'm like this? Would it not make sense to... There to be some kind of scene within the fight that at least articulates that rather than something very heteronormative and gender normative, which is what happens here. You know, wouldn't it be nice to see Megan shapeshifting in the context of this fight and saving him with those powers? Because that was kind of what was telegraphed with the would you love me if I'm like this. And yet we see the exact opposite of that, which is a reversion to something far more normative and very regressive for Megan. And that, that yeah, I think really? is the one thing that I'm like, that mm-hmm. that didn't land. Yep. I like
3: your comic better. Yeah, I agree.
2: Yeah, I like your comic better, but I also,
1: I, I guess where
2: I'm at, and I'm, I'm gonna break my cardinal rule of not telling the future here. I like this better <laughs> than I know what's coming in the next, yeah, eight to ten issues. Well, like, we we okay. can't compare
1: like, it to that. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> That's a it's low bar. Years. That's like, a low and, bar. And and and
2: and and basically, where I'm at is this is the end of one incarnation of Excalibur the story of Excalibur that I have been reading for 67 issues is now canceled. The effective story of Excalibur that starts in issue 68 is going to be very, very different for a long time. And I'm, I, I, I'm not quitting the show. There's some stuff coming up that I'm going to really like. It's going to be a while, but it's going to be, there's, I'm going to be grumpy for a few, for a few episodes. <laughs> um, Cause I just know what the next several are. There's some stuff coming up that I like a lot, but I have to see them as different characters and, the story the the Brian Megan story didn't end up where i find it satisfying but i feel like it's an, an ending even if it's not the one that i like and it's really hard for me to given that i so much hate the the very next thing that's going to happen to their relationship i hate with a passion preview for next episode so i so i i can't fault this because i'm because cuz i'm cuz i know i'm going to be like well all right I would rather have this than what happens in issue sixty-eight. I'm so yeah. I, I I hate it so much.
0: Oh so. well,
1: yeah. Anyway, yeah. I mean, I I think. <laughs>
0: Maybe, maybe. No,
1: no, no. I was just—I was thinking of something else. Really, I was like, "Well, if I had the money to commission Alan Davis to draw something, is the thing that I would commission to be redoing the group hug, everybody putting their hands on everybody at the end, to have like Kurt in between Megan and Brian?" <laughs> instead of <laughs> me, just... I was like, "Maybe, maybe." Anyway, anyway, anyway. Let's move to some final thoughts, so we can keep talking about where the characters end up um, if we want. But uh, let's move to that we can all decide what we want to talk about for kind of our final thing and uh, I will come back to you Andrew to to see what your final thoughts were anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't got a chance to talk about
3: um, I, I think we've, we've touched upon it a little bit but I also think it's interesting just how um, Rachel is resolved in this story because uh, mm-hmm. that character has been innately unstable for a very long time in ways that I like and in other ways that I'm just like please give her a brick yeah. uh, she, <laughs> she does tend to have bad luck her, yeah seeing her get to have this sort of um sense of optimism towards the future and a sense of renewal i think that's really cool and i'm not saying the authors who followed developed that effectively but i I do think that davis loves rachel maybe more than any of his characters um and, and seeing him give her that I thought was kind of sweet, even just meta Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it's
1: a wonderful moment. You know, I mean, the idea of her reprogramming the Sentinels to protect all life and her saying it was never about revenge. I wanted to change time to bring back my parents to make things the way they were, but I know that's not possible. We are products of our past. Change it and we cease to be what we are. I know that now. The last thing the phoenix said to me was, the past is forever gone. Cherish your future. I mean, heavy-handed dialogue, but still, I like that, and I like the way it circles back to the optimism of rachel the most traumatized member of the team is the one that gives the hopeful speech in sword is drawn that is the cause of the team forming to begin with so to have it end with another moment of optimism from this deeply traumatized character i think that that's a nice that's a nice callback to the beginning of this comic
0: yes so much so much and there's rachel just does so many things I love the way that she had said in 66 or no, she said at the end of 65, I have to go back to the time I'm from to fix it. And then mm-hmm, she goes back mm-hmm. home as it were and fixes it. And then realizes that her place is in, in the present of, of earth sequence six, her place is with her team, her places with, with present day kitty. She's found, she's gone back to do what she can for her old home. And now she has a new home. That's not just queer temporality. That's also, geography uh I, I i will always be connected to the place that i'm from but that's not where i belong and i've decided that i like her experiment in on-the-fly computer programming uh, <laughs> although i wish there had been a line of dialogue saying of course i i i wasn't born knowing how to reprogram computers but that's one of the things you learn when you do a mind merge with widget future kitty is yeah. you get a lot of coding skills. Yeah. And I, I like to think that she has acquired coding skills that allow her to do that to the the Sentinels because otherwise it strains credulity. But you know, you can no prize. Yeah. It.
1: I'm not, I, I know prize it very much. It's like, they were sort of merged. They did it together. I don't know. It was all very magical. Like sex saves the world. I mean, what can we say? And it's sort yeah. of, Oh well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I was thinking about that before too with the nineties thing. It's like, I don't know the fact that it isn't the guns that save the world. Like it is the bond between Kitty and Rachel that that's actually right. saves the world. And that's, that's right. very deliberate as this, well.
0: This nineties comic will show you, how 90s comics think the world is saved but will also show you how the world is actually saved through this confusing disembodied temporally scrambled like queer bond in which Mm -hmm. both of those characters skills are needed yeah it's so good it's so good it's of course it's rushed but it's so good
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. mav final thoughts from you
2: two extremely minor ones First, um, there's a panel where we talked very briefly about the time travelness um, joke at the beginning. But there's this panel where, very, very interestingly, Brian says R.C.X. Camelot, Cloud Nine, Arthur, Peter. I'm curious if if this is 2015, even of a alternate timeline, how can it parallel our time so closely? <laughs> and then Kurt says, an enigma for another day, my friend. <laughs> I'm not dealing with this. This is, I mean, like no, that. I'm that ashamed. would have been really interesting. And it's just like, yeah, we'll get back to that. And like, dude, you're lying. It's your last issue. Why even bring that? I mean, it's just like, uh, <laughs> yes. look, I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. Yeah, it's like
1: exactly like the mystery science theater 3000 song of like, remind yourself it's just a, just show, a show. everybody. Just, <laughs> really,
0: you should really yeah. just relax and fight sentinels. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, you know, and, and the thing is, and I've talked a little bit about like this actually does work in quantum theory, but don't worry about it. I don't care. I'm moving on because instead. This is Alan Davis going, I'm going to do a Master Mold story. Was anybody asking for this? Does Does anybody actually like the Master? I have never liked the Master Mold. A, and I, he renamed him. He's the sentinel hierarchy here. I don't I I've never liked the concept of this super giant Sentinel that people that other Sentinels just talk to. I, I've always just found that like the dumbest idea in all of X Men comics. And i and I and I was just curious if other people feel the same way. I like I've never liked it in any incarnation.
0: <laughs> isn't it a, isn't it a Silver Age idea? X Men number crazy. fifteen.
2: Really yeah. Is that early? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah.
0: If you're gonna tell a story about a lot of Sentinels together and you don't want a human villain controlling them. You are going to have to fight the created by Stanley Jack Kirby and Jay Gavin. Uh, oh, I didn't remember it was that giant. Early. Yeah, Can't yeah. It's so stupid. Oh, Jay Gavin. Jay Gavin is Warner Roth. Sorry, they're the same person.
1: <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Oh, I didn't know
0: that. Yes, I mean the, the Master Bold is is very silly. So dumb. Yeah, <laughs> but also like. You can't get much more Kirby other than Galactus, right? And if you look at, is Master Mold the first time Kirby creates a giant robot with a weirdly techno detailed head and large eyes who sits on a throne and never gets off a throne? Oh,
3: that's a good question.
1: That's (laughs) That's so Kirby. I was like, I'm not sure. It's going to be close. Yeah. I mean I can be generous that it's the thing about them evolving and everything. I mean I do like the little thing about like the threat of them sending sultan sentinels throughout the multiverse. I mean it's it's just a little Whoa. threat here that we don't deal with, but that concept is like holy shit, that's that, a holy shit concept. I actually
2: think that if they'd followed that thread, that could have made Ahab interesting. But oh by the way, Ahab's in this comic. Oh yeah. was, we, we didn't I don't think yeah. we ever mentioned that. Ahab is in is in this. Yeah,
0: he, we don't He's care. Sharpens. Like Farron. Do you know who's you know who's interesting though? Tangerine.
1: Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I uh, I'll, I'll come back to you, Stephanie, because I want to give you the final word because mine quickly is just, I do really hate the Nigel coming back in this and getting the slap on the back from Kurt of like in our timeline, you weren't a bad guy. You were a it guy with work. destiny that was just, you know, not doing some good things. And I'm like, again, nightcrawler forgives everybody he forgives everybody i get it but that guy was like a fascist racist nationalist that kurt punched the shit out of which is something he never does because he hated him so much and this was a bit much for me i didn't care for it i like it within the context of like there's hope for everybody which is something that stephanie said right at the beginning i think it makes sense on that level but it's too much too soon i hate that guy I don't like him getting a pat on the back.
2: And Kurt's timeline, he saw him yesterday.
1: I know, I know. It's too <laughs> much. And again, I mean, Kurt does forgive everybody. He forgives his mother after she kills his adopted mother after, well, both mothers, but he you know forgives his adopted mother after she kills like half of London. Like this is him. I get it, but it's too much. It's too much. Anyway, um, Stephanie, I'll come with to you for final thoughts. You can talk about Tangerine. You can talk about whatever else you would like. How would you like to close out this conversation?
0: Uh, Kitty and Rachel forever uh as well as, as as kitty and deliana who doesn't show up in this comic uh, but i had to say yeah. that uh and also justice for tangerine there is an entire <laughs> set of heroes who are introduced in uh, excalibur 66 and 67 uh, many of whom are killed off the rest of them show up here and we've talked about Killmaster, who's absurd we have not talked about the guy called arthur as Arthur, he, it turns out to be Nigel, but he's a guy in an Iron Man suit who calls himself Arthur, who wants to be sort of British Iron Man. Uh, there's an entire super team that apparently there were stories about some of them in Marvel UK books. The dark guard. Uh, The dark guard. But I I did look up the dark guard, and Tangerine does not seem to have been part of the dark guard. There's a character called Tangerine who appears much later in Captain Britain and MI-13, but it's not the same person because she's white and has a helmet. Uh, It's just Mm -hmm. the name and some of the same teammates. Uh, This character called Tangerine who wears flared disco trousers (laughs) who has everything tangerine colored who has this massive 70s afro and green round glasses and is a highly skilled telepath and user of other psionic and psychic arts is just fun to look at and fun to watch and someone you actually would trust with your cat which i can't say about some of the other heroes here and i don't think she ever appears that this version of Tangerine ever appears in a Marvel comic again and uh you know it's it's never too late to bring her back
1: yeah yeah well yeah, I was going to say shout out to Demanda Martini, who has a fabulous Wait, um, dra- drag Tangerine cosplay that she shared with us, which if you have not seen it, Stephanie, you must behold because it is a thing of perfection. Ah, I have not seen it. I've not seen it.
0: Where do I go as a listener to find it right
1: now? <laughs> well, go to Demanda Martini's uh, Twitter and it'll be, be be in her feed somewhere. Oh, you can go to the Gosh Golly Wow Can actually because I retweeted it recently
0: oh okay oh wow um, but yeah
1: very very amazing apparently one of her favorite characters and definitely does her justice
0: so good very (laughs) excellent
1: i know i know um other final thoughts from you stephanie or should we should we close out a discussion of this one not close it out um leave it for now to return to it as many times as we would like in the future because that's the wonderful thing about comics we can continue talking about them as often as we want returning in elliptical orbits around our favorite topics forever infinity
0: i love happy endings
1: What better way is that to to end this particular issue and this wonderful era of Excalibur that's so close to our hearts? I was not born to live a man's life, but to be the stuff of future memory. The fellowship was a brief beginning, a fair
3: time that cannot be forgotten. And because it will not be forgotten that fair time may come again.
1: So we will wrap things up there. Other than to say, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us to send off this comic and epic style. Before we go, we need to remind our lovely listeners about where they can find you and all the awesome things you're working on. So the floor is there. The floor is yours, rather, to rep your things. And I know you've got a new podcast, so please mention that.
0: Mine? The floor is mine? Yes. Okay, yes, I'm, it is um, absolutely I'm standing yours. on the floor. So uh, <laughs> you can find me at uh, Accommodatingly on Twitter, A C C O M m-o-d-a-t-i just accommodatingly two season two m's i've got a book coming out uh called we are mermaids it's got a whole bunch of the x-men poems uh that i've done lately some of which are one of them is is sort of by semi-request for anna it's an egg crawler poem you've read it uh, i believe that one's in there uh, we are mermaids comes out from gray wolf press in october if you want all of the x and excalibur poems you can get them right now in a chat book called for all mutants uh, available on the internet from Rain Taxi Editions. Uh, I've also got a new podcast uh, where I am the co-host and a repeat player with Fiona Hopkins, uh, who is the usual GM as well as the producer and sound engineer. That is a podcast called Team Up Moves, which has, I believe by the time this episode drops, we will have uh, six episodes out there. It is a podcast where we test drive and try out and do actual play one shots of various superhero role-playing games and talk about how they work. And the next arc to drop, we play a game specifically designed to simulate mutant stories called the exceptionals. Uh, So team up moves is the podcast and it's an honor to be part of that with Fiona and our various guests and a real honor to be part of gosh, golly gee, wow. The Excalibur podcast (laughs) with all of you. (laughs)
1: so happy to have you back for this issue you requested it ages and ages and ages ago and I'm like well I mean I assume the podcast will probably maybe still be going by then and I'm so happy we made it and yes we will be continuing past Excalibur 67 I promise we will still have some great guests and great conversations heading your way not next week we are taking next week off from podcasting but not podcast related content we will be rolling out a whole week of stuff celebrating Alan Davis's work on Excalibur as we catch our breath and look forward to the future um and I'll just thank you one more time, Stephanie. Thank you so so much thank you. for being here. And
0: thank thanks to all three of you. This is such an honor.
1: So in two weeks' time, we will be back with a new episode on Excalibur 68 Facades, co-starring the Starjammers. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out the YouTube videos. You know where they are. They're on the Vox Podcast YouTube channel. They're on our website if I ever get around to updating all of it. Maybe by the time the podcast ends, I'll have that done. As always, if you want to chat with us about Excalibur or pitch yourself as a guest for a future episode, let us know. You can reach out via our website, goshgollywow.com, where we've got some fun extras and via twitter at gosh Golly wow, where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week and more fun extras thank you andrew and Matt, for another psychedelic discussion thank you stephanie for cruising utopia with us thank you all for listening and a special thanks to Maximilian of platform music for our truly epic theme song play us out i thought that was one of my more clever outros I was the academics in the room, the queer thank you acad- for get that, one. that was this
0: is an- <laughs>